Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff: shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at fifty to eighty percent less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Talk radio across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio, the world headquarters of common sense and the centre of the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. Incredibly, we discovered this morning that the Liverpool bomber was being housed in an asylum hostel at taxpayers' expense run by Serco. That's right, the private company that is making millions from the illegal immigration business thanks to a host of government contracts from transporting the arrivals on coaches to housing them in hotels up and down the country. It beggars belief, does it not, that someone whose asylum claim was rejected in 2015 14 could still be living in this country, let alone being sponsored to be here, while he plotted the murder of hundreds of innocent people last weekend on Remembrance Sunday. Even the Home Secretary Pretty Patel has admitted that the system uh, has become a merry-go-round, with the government being powerless to stop the massed hordes of new arrivals every single day on our shores. Only yesterday, Pretty Patel told us that she was having talks with her counterpart in France to make sure that it all comes to an end. We're sick of hearing it. What we want is an actual end to it, an actual proper identification process by which we can say to these people if you come here illegally you will be turned away you will not be allowed in you will certainly not be living in a hostel seven years after we've told you that you cannot get asylum here for heaven's sake this morning we're joined by baroness hoey she will have plenty to say about the new terror threat and i'll be asking her about the new boris johnson policy that mps will be barred from having second jobs how on earth is he going to make that work? Because I can't see it, to be honest. I'll also be asking her what she makes of Sajid Jabbi's extraordinary tweet last night to one of our regular listeners, one David Atherton, who questioned the government's policies on booster jabs. According to the Secretary of State for Health, we should just so show some respect to the NHS without question. I don't think so, Mr. Stabit Jabbit. He said, so what? Just respect the NHS. Is that the kind of language the Secretary of State for Health should be using? I don't think so. 03444991000. Coming up, it's the return of Prime Minister's questions, and no doubt Boris will be attacked for his U-turn on the second jobs decision and the continuing story of Tory sleaze, although I'm not sure it's cutting through to the public. Our political editor, Peter Coldwell, joins us for that. And Tonya Buxton is here as well. She's had an interesting week, which included being slagged off by a broadcaster from another place over booster jabs and vaccinations. Some people will never learn that we do not want to live in a two 
two-tiered society. Tony's also got plenty to say about obese children and the latest NHS policy to sort them out. As ever, of course, we need to hear from you. What are you seeing out there and what are you being told? 0344 499 1000. You're listening to me, Mike Graham, right here on the fastest growing radio station on the planet. It is, of course, Talk Radio. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Now, let us, without further ado, say a very warm welcome to Baroness Kate Hurry. Kate, lovely to see you. Thank very you for nice. coming into the studio. Uh, and welcome. Well, I'm, it's very nice to be here again and look out at this lovely view you've got. Isn't my... it beautiful? And it's such a nice day as well, mm. notwithstanding the COP26 climate change emergency. Please, could we not go there? No, I'd rather not. <laughs> and I think we've dispatched that into the midst, the midst of time. Yeah. Um, although I was pleased to see they had an earthquake in Glasgow after they left, ah. which pretty much goes to show they can't really change much, can they? Uh, I, I heard that about there. It's correct, yeah, because it was felt over in Northern Ireland too, in Ballycastle. Really? Yes. Absolutely amazing. Now, um, you're back in London. Um, let's talk a bit about Serco, because the story... Mm. That I want to get into this morning is the revelation, incredible revelation that came out late last night, um, that this bomber, whose name I do not wish to, to mention, so I'm not going to name him at all, um, apparently was living in a hostel, which was an asylum seekers hostel in Liverpool, paid for by the government, paid for by the taxpayer, run by Serco, which is this private company run by the brother of um, Nicholas Soames, I believe. Um, and it just beggars belief that a man whose asylum claim or uh, attempted um, sort of you know application was turned down seven years ago is still living in this country at our expense well i remember uh, way back and i can't i'm trying to think who which prime minister it was under when the home secretary said um the home office wasn't fit for purpose and yeah. the whole immigration system wasn't fit for purpose and i think that's still today in 2021 just as bad as yeah. ever and the idea that you can be told that you're not an asylum seeker and presumably the court said at the time that you know he should be deported mm. um, and it hasn't happened shows right. there is a huge huge problem there and we just don't know the figures of how many other people I don't know whether the Home Office has come out and stated it they yes. won't want to because they won't want people to know just how many people it is right. and it is really quite quite shocking but also you know quite <clears throat> frightening in a way um, because now we know that there are all these people here and many of them, of course, have become radicalised mm. if they weren't at, uh, you know, when they came here And we're first. now being told it was lockdown that somehow managed to get them radicalised, which I find quite hard to believe. I mean, you're not going to just get radicalised because you're sitting at home, are you? No, well, I suppose the argument really you're watching, you're seeing more, you know, if the internet and able to um, have discussions with other people and, and that kind of communication. But, you know, all of that is kind of froth and excuses yeah. what what we've got to have is a situation where we can actually deport people who are gen because the problem for me was and i had a, a very busy constituency surgery of people with immigration problems the problem is that the the um the unlawful asylum seekers actually do down the genuine asylum seeker because right. people in the cup country then you know put everybody together mm. and actually there are some really you know, there are some genuine people who have fled for their lives i'm but sure there what, are but in the same they way, should the, be treated yeah, absolutely in the same way that we've brought people outside of afghanistan for mm. whatever reason they may yeah. have worked with with british forces some of them may have even been working as in hong kong part of we're british going to take forces. lots of people exactly. from hong kong but unfortunately what it does is it makes people who are obviously people living in this country it makes them sort of feel as though we are being invaded by this sort of foreign force of people 
who are all the same the same sort of homogenous group and they're not yes and 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 of course what we're seeing I mean, the, the whole dover situation is is particularly shocking because we are seeing then what's happening that they are being taken many of them after being in their hotel locally they're being taken off up to mainly northern towns like well midlands and northern yeah. uh, and then taking accommodation there and those those communities are soon going to start feeling very you know, threatens too strong a word, but they're certainly going to feel that their their communities are changing, and they have not been asked in any way. Do they want that to happen? So the no. whole Dover issue, coupled with what's happened at, at the weekend with that terrible, terrible mm. bomb, um, you know, t- atrocity really, and and we'd no idea whether he was aiming for the hospital or whether he was going on to go to the cathedral, which apparently he'd been. Um, well, that's another weird thing, which, which, which is a story that was written apparently in 2016, but it kind of passed me by, that apparently a lot of these asylum seekers claim to be um, uh, com- committed to Christianity yeah. mm-hmm. and they ask to be converted to Christianity because it apparently helps their cause. I mean, surely we must be able to see through this stuff. Well, you'd think you'd think the um, the Church of England uh, ministers who, who on the whole would be the people who would be accepting them into um, their faith mm. would actually be a little bit more... Um, cynical perhaps you would think but, but uh, I'm afraid there is a kind of almost uh, acceptance you know that anyone there's a who, missionary zeal yes isn't anyone oh isn't it great look at all these Muslim <laughs> young men wanting to come and become Christians and you go really yeah well you would you would think that but then I mean we we um, you know we have a kind of very very what I would call liberal establishment running running the Church of England and, um, well, we've got a very they, liberal establishment running the entire country. I mean, that's what worries me. I mean, I heard a woman from the House of Lords, and I, I forgive me for not knowing her name, but she said uh, quite with a straight face on a radio station I was listening to, well, the thing is, a lot of these young men come from very violent places, and, you know, you have to forgive them for being violent, effectively, <laughs> and that, you know, some of them have a different relationship with violence than we do. And I'm going, yeah, well, shouldn't that be a reason to say, actually, sorry, you can't come in? No, I, there, there, I, I've heard some very, very interesting views since I've been in the House of Lords from people who you would have thought would would actually know better about reality, but many of them are actually cut off from reality, what well, it's like on the ground. And, you know, people... And I think, you know, our country is so tolerant. We really are a tolerant mm. country. And, you know, you talk to any sort of taxi driver in London, uh, you know, in a minicab who's, who's from another country and has come here, they all will say, you know, how welcome they've yeah. felt and how how grateful they are and why they want to be here in the first place and they themselves get very annoyed at Mm. some of these people coming in who are just abusing the system as they are in Dover and of course she also said well luckily this sort of uh, thing that happens uh, like the thing that happened in Liverpool is a very rare occurrence which is true and I know that you know of the 20 odd thousand that have come already this year on the dinghies you could probably count on one hand the numbers of those who might cause harm to mm. people. But nevertheless, they're being imported and five is, is, is more than zero and five is too many. We've mm. got plenty of maniacs in this country that we've grown by ourselves, thanks very much. We well, don't need to import any. The, the other thing, of course, the Home Office say, but it's, then it's their own fault for not doing something about it, that when they do try to deport people, literally the plane is sitting full of people who are being sent back somewhere and then the lawyers get involved making a lot of money are our lawyers out of this and they go in and take take an action which means that the the plane has to go off with very few people on it yes and of course that's all part of the the human rights um, yes act which and uh, i mean i, I was think the government somebody, was uh, committed to looking at it but i haven't seen much uh, well it's a bit confusing much. isn't it because brexit as, as as we will get on to i'm sure was supposed to be the end of our 
hegemony with uh, with the EU. They weren't supposed to be able to tell us how we could run our country anymore. And yet we still appear to be signed up to the European Court well, of, of Human it, Rights in it, some way, shape or form. It covers other countries as well, mm. and it's a general thing. But yes, I mean, I think it does need... Because the the, uh, the aim of it was to speed up people being able to appeal um, issues. But I think, you know, we should be able to do that in our own country. And I, I would very much like us to, the government to look at that yes. seriously again because it stops all sorts of things and causes us to have to do certain mm. things that we wouldn't do in a normal situation. Right. Well, isn't it interesting as well that the EU, looking to the east, where they see the border troubles between Poland and Belarus, say that those are not proper migrants, apparently, according to the EU, and therefore they're not allowed into the European Union because they've been somehow siphoned in to Belarus by Vladimir Putin playing the sort of Pied Piper of Hamlin mm. uh, trick and getting them all to turn up. But, of course, the ones that are coming here from France are perfectly legitimate. It, it, the hypocrisy of the European Union on it has been, and it's been unbelievable, really. Mm. And then what's interesting, of course, we've apparently sent some of our own troops out to help the um, Polish authorities. What, to and keep them out? Did, yes, that, right. I, I, I'm not sure. I don't think not very many, but we've certainly sent, and, and that would be seem to me, you know, we, we should be getting our own priorities. I think the argument there is that, of course, if those people do get through into Poland, they're not going to stop in no. Poland. Of course not. They're not going to stop in Italy. They're not going to stop wherever no, they want to come No, they'll be to... in Eastbourne in about two weeks. <laughs> Maybe <You> three. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the thing. I mean, how is it that, that we have got this situation which Pretty Patel seems powerless to prevent? Um, I know that you've done some work uh, in the whole immigration business. You've, you've worked in, 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 in various different capacities with the border force in the past. Um, I mean, what, could, what can we do to stop it? Well, I think legally, um, you know, they, they will produce all sorts of legal reasons why we can't turn the boats round. Um, obviously, there is the law of the sea where if a boat is in distress, then it's, it's clearly they have to be... Um, Rescued, but what I I did actually visit the whole border uh, control area in Dover the other week with uh, two or three other uh, members of Parliament right. from red wall seats actually who were very very interested because their their constituencies are being literally filled up with people coming from Dover, and it was a it was a, a an eye opener and quite shocking. Mm. I've got a debate in the House of Lords next week on the issue because what I saw was I mean it's so obvious that the pull factor is huge mm. now. Um, I mean, I, I don't think anyone wants people who do come in to be treated in any way inhumanely. No, but, but, but equally, the, by the same token, we also want to know what they're doing coming here, yeah. who they're being uh, sent they here all, by. They all, 99.9% of them, when asked, why have you come? They all can speak English enough to say they're claiming asylum. Right. And um, the other thing that's happening, which is interesting, um, the people who used to you know get the boats for them the people who are making a lot of money out of this um now because the communication system between those who've come here and those who are still on the beaches and in, over in france the communication is very good and they know what to say they right. know how to handle things and what they've been doing is apparently we were told by border force more and more of them are clubbing together finding a way of getting their own little boat mm. and coming across right. which is why we saw some really ridiculous little dinghy type things right. that you'd almost see children playing right. around in. But those are still they know in the minority be because most of them, it would seem to me, are being trafficked. Most of them seemingly mm -hmm. are paying a fair amount of money or at least yeah. put themselves in debt in order to get here, which suggests that they're probably going to be working in the black economy. They're probably going to be working for criminal organisations and they're probably somehow contributing to uh, the enrichment 
of, of, of human traffickers. Yes, and I, this is where I think the French authorities are absolutely failing. And it's very clear that they are very happy to have them passed on to us. Mm. And they're getting all that money from us. And yet they haven't been able to tackle it in any serious no. way they do find the you know they do stop the they claim boat. that they're stopping some yeah. from coming yes. but they're clearly not doing enough and also this business of rescuing i mean this needs to happen in the mediterranean whereas as long as you set sail from uh, tripoli uh, in a boat and got 10 feet offshore the the the, the charity boats would rescue mm. you well that's, that's you know the that's same as children people and, and and the sort of oxfam mm. boats would go oh, that, well, you're in the water we'll, we'll pick you up well the rnli is almost full-time mm. doing that now and of course what happens is the french communicate with the, our, our, our border force and right. say there's a boat just coming over mm. and um, you know they go out and, and I think so people over there know that unless it's really horrendous conditions they're going to be pretty much picked up as right. soon as they get right. anywhere and so what do the border force guys say about what they would like to be able to do what would their powers well, uh, very interesting be because obviously could ask? they um, you know publicly they'll say they follow the line but privately some of them were making it very clear that they think the whole thing has just gone out of hand it's and of course they are working extremely hard you yeah. know, they, and even the people who are going out on, on the on the boats um, are exhausted yeah. because it's 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 happening all through the night now sure. as well um, well it's a business now I mean there's no uh-huh. doubt in anybody's mind I mean these guys are making millions of pounds a week by trafficking these people into this country we're looking at probably uh, 30,000 by yeah. the end of the year yeah. um, because the, the season hasn't stopped them we're also now being told that next year if it doesn't stop they'll be getting the bigger boats that they used to use in the Mediterranean so they'll be arriving in their hundreds yes. rather than in their dozens and and to, in order to do that we also visited the big new um, huge big building that mm. three million pounds is being spent to create a a better place for them to be treated when they arrive because right. at the moment it is a bit of sheds here and 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 you know porta cabins. Well, it's still but better than the sort of jungle uh, of Calais, though, well, isn't it? But you should see the nice place it's now going to be mm. there. Absolutely top of the range, uh, showers and all right. that kind of thing. And this is the thing. I mean, it's very all... sad, really, because you know you see all these and they're predominantly young. Yeah, they're, they're, you know, they're predominantly, they're predominantly young men, aren't they? Young men. I, most boats have one family in it sometimes mm. or one child or something. There's a, there's a te- definitely a, a, a cleverness about how they do it, the, the people who are yeah. running this. They know that if they put a family in the boat, it, it gives, you know, it, it, it looks better. It looks in, better, yeah. And then they can tell, you know, uh, somebody to come and take a picture and everybody... No, I think, I think Pretty Patel, I mean, I don't know whether she's being held back by, you know, within... The Home Office has always been a very, um, very slow to do things and yes. very keen not to... You know, look like they're in any way being uh, hostile. So it I, really is extraordinary. It, it can't go on. No, it, it really must can't. go on. And the big question, which I'm going to ask you to, to answer in a minute, because we're going to take a little break, is you know, where are they all going and where are they all ending up? And that's the question I think a lot of people are asking and wondering about. Kate Hoey's with us here, uh, Baroness Hoey now, of course, uh, from Lyle Hill and Rathlin. Uh, we're going to find out more about the migrant problem. What is going on? Uh, and coming up in a little while, we'll talk about Serco as well, which is the government uh, contractor, which basically gets given free money by the government to take care of all these people. It's an absolute merry-go-round, as Pretty Patel has said. This is Talk Radio across the UK, online, on DAB+, and on the Talk Radio app. The Independent Republic of Mike Gray on Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. We've got Baroness Hoey with us. Uh, and, of course, I can't have you sitting here, uh, Kate, without asking you about the Northern Ireland Protocol, the fishing dispute, you know, Lord Frost and the mm. Brexit negotiations. What's uh, what's the latest? Well, Lord Frost in Northern Ireland today, actually. Mm. Um, and then he's going 
back to do questions tomorrow in the Lords, right. which you'll get a, um, you know, quite a few interesting questions about the pr- protocol and fishing. And then on Friday, he goes back to Brussels. Mm. And I'm hoping, but, you know, maybe just me being hopeful that Friday could be, you know, they finally say, look, enough's enough. Right. The EU have given a bit, but it's all... Um, candy floss. You and know, you've it's, always it's, maintained that they could easily solve it tomorrow if they wanted to. Well, they could because actually just a couple of weeks ago they announced, the Republic of Ireland government announced that because of its emphasis on green policies now, they were going to stop um, being able to check solid fuel going over the border between uh-huh. the Re- Northern Ireland and the Republic to right. check that it had the same, the level of whatever it's it is. rubbish, that, isn't it? I know, well, it just showed that when they want to, they recognise yeah. there's a border, right. you know. So I think, Lord, I think we've had enough talking about it all now. The EU is never going to give up on the European Court of Justice. And while Northern Ireland is left under EU Court of Justice and EU rules, right. then the United Kingdom is not, um, you know, is, is, is being... I mean, is it, do you think this will just drag on into perpetuity that Northern Ireland will continue to remain a place which is kind of in both camps, really? Yes, I think I think that's what um, you know. Some people, probably even in 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 our foreign office, mm. would be sort of saying, "Oh well, look, look it's it's fine." As long as it's kind of as long, along. as long as people aren't out, you know, planting bombs, no. particularly on Great Britain. Right. <laughs> Although there have been a few instances, haven't there? Been where, a few where buses have been hijacked and set on fire and that kind of thing. And there's been a lot of community people, you know, genuinely trying to stop unrest, but. You know that can't continue. Things will come to a head, mm. and I, you know, the the party gave the some of the unionist parties gave Frost another month or so, and time's running out now. Really, really, we need to get that uh, Article 16 yeah. invoked, right. and then that allows for more discussion. Although I think if we do invoke Article 16, the EU are saying that you know that could bring about a trade war and all of this. Yeah. Article 16 is in the agreement. So why was it put in if right. the EU and also are now never, saying I mean, it's, it's the end of the world? It's not in anybody's interest to have a trade war. I don't believe those no. scaremongering stories. There's not going to be a trade war. The French want us as much as we want to be able to export into the mm. EU. Why would you bother having a row about mm. it? But isn't it interesting about all those scare stories that we used to hear day in, day mm. out during the referendum campaign and afterwards, and yet we've seen you know, the Shell story recently right. and all sorts of good news that even the, BBC, even the BBC has to sometimes mention it. They do. They don't like it, though. Finally, I suppose it brings us back to Boris Johnson. Boris Johnson having a bit of a rocky time, I would say, at the moment. I feel as though he's being very much distracted all the time now by something. I don't know what it is, but, you know, it seems as though every policy he has has a kind of shelf life of 24 hours. And then he changes it. You know, today we're going to have PMQs. As a result of having PMQs, he appears to have had this ridiculous kind of road to Damascus conversion about second jobs for MPs. Going to ban them. You can't really, can you? How can you ban them? It's it's it's. Uh, he obviously wanted to uh, out outdo what Keir Starmer was going to say yesterday, and now of course there's a dispute about yeah. which one is which policy is right. stronger. So he can but say, "Well, re- we're already doing it." The reality is that it's going to be extremely difficult mm. to, uh, to to monitor. Our, our, our MP is going to fill in timesheets and things. Right. I mean, some people might say they should, but I mean, my view is that um, as long as uh, you know. It, in ultimately, it's the constituents have to judge. Is their MP being taken away so much by all mm. this work that they're not doing their normal yes. job? Um, the, the amount of money is 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 almost immaterial. It's the amount of time yes, that they spend. I think so. I mean, Geoffrey Cox is a very clever guy. If he can make a million pounds a minute by being uh, able to give advice to the Virgin Islands, then good luck to him. Well, he's probably employing a lot more staff yeah, as well. Then right. we see that help. But I I, I think I think. Um, you know, MPs. What I don't want to end up is a thing where it says, "Well, no MP can work unless you're doing something that 
somebody somewhere up here in the establishment considers to be a good second job, yeah. i.e. being able to be a lawyer, for right. example, do some legal work right. or do some, be, you know, go into a hospital for a, a few hours a week or a few hours a month mm. to keep. I mean, that, I think it should be a full time job. But, you know, if somebody wants to do that and their constituents know as long as it's open and transparent, yeah. and they should have to declare it. Right. Uh, but just it, it's so easy to say, oh, ban them all to do right. a second job. And also you can't I mean, really do it because what does that mean? So when it means if you were an MP and, and, and we theory, came to this you would be said, being a second job, well, although I'm not if, paid. <laughs> well, but what if we said to you, would you like to come in and do a radio show and we'll, for which we will pay you? Are you not allowed to do that? I mean, it's good news for people who well, don't like listening to David Lally, oh, I yes, suppose. Well, he that, might get banned yeah, that, for being on the airwaves, which probably wouldn't make that much difference to the world. But I just find it bizarre that, um, you know, if you get asked to write a piece for the Daily Telegraph, yeah. is that a second job or is that allowable? Yeah, I th- I you think can't it's, do it, can you? It's, it's, it's a typical, I'm afraid, as a politician, former politician, still a politician, but uh, uh, it's a typical reaction to something where there is, a, you know, a public outroar. Mm. You, you immediately say something very quickly that sounds good. Right. When it comes to the detail, no one's got right. the detail. It won't work probably at no. all. And what's hap- going to happen is it could drive out a lot of very good members right. of parliament and like many and rules people in parliament, coming in to and be like many rules in parliament which have happened before where they've changed the rules they've allowed previous incumbents to do what they want so for example you're not now supposed to employ your spouse as a member of your staff but if you already did that's fine and that's the way it works and so it's kind of hypocritical anyway the whole the whole thing is riddled with inconsistencies yeah. and ultimately i think you have to hope that mp's do what they think is right and their that's constituents the trouble, isn't it? you know it's it because is. some will do the right thing yeah. and some won't and everyone then gets branded yeah. by the few but uh, i'm not sure the, the either of those two announcements will sort sort things out in a satisfactory way and i'm no. not sure anyone really has the answers other than uh, you know I just, I just don't think you can make it absolutely impossible no. for an MP to do you something can't. else. No, because it's not black and white, like most things, unfortunately. Kate, lovely to see you. Thank you so much for coming in. Baroness Kate Hoey, uh, of course, visiting us, uh, as we should be very uh, happy to uh, to see her. Uh, we'll see her again soon. Lots to talk about, though, coming up. What's going on with Serco? What is going on with the asylum business? What is going on with Pretty Patel? Why is she not able to stop what is happening? And what about Boris Johnson? Is he just sort of treading water now? Is he just biding his time until somebody comes along that might be more popular than him? Who knows? This is Talk Radio. Talk Radio. Across the UK. Online. On DAB. And on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. On Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. We've got lots to do, lots to talk about. The Liverpool bomber was apparently living in a hostel, a halfway hostel, uh, seven years after his asylum claim was turned down. Uh, he was being paid for by the taxpayer uh, in, a, in a housing facility which was basically created by Serco, the company, the private company, uh, which is making millions from the illegal migrant problem. Before we forget, let's tell you that you can also watch us on uh, television. You can watch us on Apple TV, Rakuten, Samsung TV+, Roku, YouTube, and now Amazon Fire TV as well. Uh, it's on the lot. Basically, go to the talkradio.tv page or simply download the Talk Radio TV app uh, from the App Store and you can watch us all the way through the day. Jeremy Carl from 4, Ian Collins from 1, Kevin O'Sullivan from 8, uh, 7 rather, uh, James Well from 10, and all the way through to uh, James Max and Julie Hartley Brewer in the morning. Right now, though, let's talk to Martin Daubney, Deputy Leader of the Reclaim 
claim party because I think he will be as incredulous as I am uh, this morning to discover that Serco are not only still making millions out of the asylum business, but they're still housing people who have had their asylum claims turned down seven, count them, seven years ago. Martin, very good morning to you. Morning, Mike, and thank you once again for being one of the sole voice of common sense and increasingly insane world. But let me tell you what, Mike, I'm not surprised about this. It's shocking, um, though, isn't is, it? Yeah, this is absolutely shocking. It's grotesque, but it's symptomatic of a broken system, a system that's completely unfit for purpose. This government has completely lost control of illegal immigration, yeah. full stop. Look at the front page of the papers today. Um, immigrants pouring in on dinghies, laughing their heads off like they've won a game show because, of course, they have won a game show yeah. when they get to the UK. They're gifted with free housing, with pizzas, with mobile phones, and they're welcomed by a political establishment which sees immigration, even illegal immigration, as only a good thing. And then 6,000 people who have failed their asylum process, um, like this gentleman who repeatedly lied, um, where he came from, about his system, uh, his background, his origin. And 6,000 of those people are still being kept by the taxpayer in protected accommodation at full expense. Huh. We're paying this bill, Mike. All of us are paying this bill. And you know what? I was out in North Shropshire yesterday. There's a by-election coming up, talking to people up there about what they make of this. And the voters are appalled by what's going on. Yeah. In 2016, we voted to take back control of our borders. Now it's worse than ever. And the asylum system is completely broken and unfit for purpose. And the Home Secretary, pretty pitiful Patel, I think she'd resign. Yeah, I mean, she keeps coming out unbelievably only yesterday uh, saying, oh, I've been talking to my French counterpart. I mean, one of my Twitter followers said, uh, did he burst out laughing when you first said to him, you know, we must do something about this? Because they are just laughing at us now. I mean, we've got a situation where this guy walks in. I mean, I don't even know if he came in on a dinghy seven or eight years ago. He may well have done because they were still doing it in those days or in the back of a lorry or something like that. But it beggars belief, doesn't it, that not only... uh, I mean, it'd be one thing if he was kind of secreting himself away, but no, he was hiding in plain sight, being paid for by the taxpayer, Serco still making money off of him, uh, millions and millions of pounds every single year. It's extraordinary. Yeah, and, and I think it's just, again, it's just symptomatic. This guy is just the one we know about. It's happening all over the place. Yesterday, Priti Patel said she would, quote, 100% stop illegal immigration. Mm. Yesterday, 1,000 illegal immigrants poured into the UK. So she was right, yeah. but by a factor of 10. Right. She's completely lost the plot on this. I know. And the, the, the trouble is, who's in control of the country? Emmanuel Macron, mm. the French Navy, Border Force. ISIS. And when they get here, who's in charge? ISIS. And who's in charge of sending them back? Because there's a feeling that the government has been led by the nose by human rights lawyers, by activists, by celebrities, by hashtag refugee welcome, by a political establishment that's completely impotent and lost its teeth on this issue, and they won't speak out for fear of becoming yeah. racist. And, and what happens is like the, the worst that can happen is what's happened in Liverpool. Game the system, cheated, lied, tried right. to get deported, couldn't get him out, and tried to bomb a maternity ward. Mike, it's grotesque. Yeah. And what about this story as well, Martin, that, that we discovered from a few years ago? I must admit, I didn't notice it a few years ago. Uh, broken yeah. in the Sunday Times, I think. Now, an awful lot of asylum seekers actually actively pretend to want to uh, to become Christian in order to get more points to become an, a successful asylum seeker, because apparently if you're a Christian, you're all right. I mean, how stupid are these people? Yeah, I remember covering this story back in 2016. This is back in the Brexit referendum days. I covered this on Sky News. It came to light, basically, 
um, they were gaming the system, converting to Christianity because that gave them protected status because if they were sent back to a, a welcoming, tolerant, inclusive society which they came from, they were at risk of being persecuted mm. or worse right. because Christianity is a punishable offence. Yeah. So they were converting to Christianity and then just disappearing. 200, we know about, Iranians just at Liverpool Cathedral where this bloke went and saw the light to go to Christianity. And that's one place, just the ones we know about. This, this is cheating, it's gaming the system, it's playing the, the system, and we should shine a light on this. I'm absolutely right, and I'm sorry to say, the happy clappy brigade, you know, who Mr and Mrs, you know, cosy uh, tea time at 4pm uh, for all uh, people who are coming here from terribly violent Muslim countries because we ought to be a Christian, you must be fine. I mean, you know, do get yourselves an education in the real world and stop pretending that you're going to put your arms around somebody who's literally strapped to a suicide belt. Yeah, and did you notice, Mike, how gleefully the mainstream media were reporting the fact this guy had converted to Christianity almost as if, see, um, he's a good so guy. So it's nothing to do with Islam then, right? Precisely. So it's, it's not only a way of dodging and gaming the immigration and asylum system, but it's a way of getting media protection because the media don't seem to take the side of the electorate who are rightly concerned this is spiralling out of control. I think the government have lost control on this yeah. completely. Well, listen... And the elect- my, my favourite phrase of the moment, Martin, and I'm sure you'll, you'll join me in, in laughing at this with some hilarity, certain media organisations still referring to the bloke who blew himself up as the suspected bomber. And I'm going, there's nothing suspected about it. He blew himself up with his own detonating device. I mean, I don't think there's anything suspected about that, is there? Uh, you don't have to be Poirot to work this one out, Mike, but we know that what's going on here. <laughs> I mean, uh, it begs is- belief, though, doesn't it? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's almost funny, but again, it's symptomatic of a mm. media that would rather bury its head in the sand and put things in inverted commas, dodge the real issue, make it about something else because they haven't got the guts, they haven't got the spine to tackle this issue, the same as our politicians, and the public are completely fed up with it, Mike. They really are. And the big question for me, Martin, is how many more uh, Liverpool bombers are there? Where are they all staying, right? How many more of these hostels do we have around the country? Because we know just from people that tell us stuff anecdotally on the radio uh, that there's loads of hotels up and down the country that you can't book a room in. Guess what? They're full of asylum seekers. Yeah, you know, one of the most heartbroken stories that I found when I was campaigning to be an MEP for the Brexit Party in May 2019 was I went to Wolverhampton Mm. and I met a homeless veteran who was having a meal in Weatherspoons with his wife. And yeah. he told me he was about to be evicted from his hotel where he was kept right. uh, because asylum seekers had moved in and taken the, his, his room. And I was utterly heartbroken. I held his hand and I bought him a drink. And it really, really struck home that one anecdote of, of really where this country's priorities lie and what's happening and why don't we take care of our home. Charity should begin at home. And when we do things like this and the system is abused, I think the public have rightfully got mind to say this has to stop. It really does. And I'm just, as we speak, reading the latest breaking news in which it says that the terrorist, whose name I refuse to use, by the way, um, uh, basically spent seven months buying bomb parts uh, before the event uh, last Sunday. And, you know, I have all sympathies with the security services because they have the hardest job of all to try and keep track of these scumbags. But, you know, it's time to stop. It's time to stop importing terror, isn't it? Yeah, isn't it amazing? Isn't it amazing how you get a knock at your door if you send an offensive tweet or if you're transphobic? Yeah. Or if you or if you offend, well, you know, your 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 friend of mine Lawrence Fox gets regularly yeah. knocked up by the police uh, who want to know what he's doing and where he's going and whether he's going to be outside without a mask on. 
Yeah, and the police have a lot of time to police tweets when they should be policing the streets. They have a lot of time to knock on doors to check if you're quarantined, but they can't, they can't detect a suicide bomber who's been quietly building bombs for seven years off parts that you or I could buy off Amazon. Yeah. We've got this completely wrong mind. Mm. We're, we're, we're applying law and order where it shouldn't be applied, and we're ignoring criminals in plain view. We have to have a deep reset on the system. And I really hope the by-election law structure gives the public a chance to say enough is enough yeah. and give Westminster and give the Tories a bloody nose. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Great to talk to you, Martin. See you soon. We must have a drink before Christmas because, of course, it might get cancelled, not by Boris Johnson, but by the Church of England. <laughs> uh, Martin Dorbley, Deputy Leader of the Reclaimed Party, quite rightly saying, it's time to stop importing terror, isn't it? I'm sick to death of hearing all these lefties going, oh, are you against immigration? No, I'm not against immigration, but I'll tell you what I'm against. I'm against importing nutters from far-left countries, from from places where Muslim fundamentalists treat them like scum and make them want to kill people. That's what I'm against. Is there anything wrong with that? Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. I don't know what's got into me today, but I'm feeling a bit feisty. That was galvanising. Listen, that's how I feel, though. How dare Sajid Javid start slagging off my listeners because they ask a question about his policy about jabbing people three times instead of twice? I think think what the problem with politicians across the board, whether it be Labour or Lib Dem or Conservatives or whatever, is that they've forgotten that they are there to serve. Yes. They are there to serve. And I don't know where they get off being so impolite, being so rude and, and... answering things like that we have genuine questions yeah. we, we are genuinely worried about what's going on and so if somebody's worried about something that they're going to put into their body right. why can't they ask that question and the whole thing with the nhs as you know which i intend to go into a lot more next week but this week is that the nhs is failing mm. and it's been failing for many work. many many years right. and they don't re- he doesn't respect the nhs because he's sacking mm. all those wonderful people that we were clapping for yes. during the pandemic we are not in a pandemic now it's over it's endemic let's get that out there yes. for sure mm. and all all those wonderful people that risked their lives and went in and worked and most of them got covid whilst yeah. they was there so they've all got natural immunity right. a whole load of them he had. doesn't like to talk about that he sacked them he sacked them right so who should be respecting the nhs is the nhs just this big body or is it the people within yeah. it Maybe the he real people it. he needs to respect the people that work right. in it not the middlemen that get these huge wages what were the wages seven jobs or eight jobs for over a quarter of a million to do what yeah. exactly i know these people need to go it needs restructuring i'm happy to take the job on. Yeah. I will take the job on of restructuring well, the Well, listen, anyone with an ounce of common sense and an ability to organise anything, including either your home uh, or a school uh, or a company or a restaurant 
you know, anyone with any brains could sort the NHS out like that. Yeah. Because it's clearly overburdened with red tape. It's overburdened with managers. There's too many people who do nothing and, and big, who are paid loads of money to do nothing. And Big Pharma has and, too much and, yeah. of an input and also, in what goes on also on the in NHS. What, in what world, right? If you, imagine if you owned the biggest restaurant chain in Britain, right, and you were buying aubergines. Wouldn't you pay bottom dollar for aubergines rather than top dollar because Absolutely, you're buying so many? Because you're buying so many. But in the NHS, when you buy the most drugs of any organisation in the entire world, you pay them the maximum That's as opposed to the minimum. What's going on? It's big pharma. They, a lot of them are conflicted. There's lots of confliction going on yeah. there, and it's really not on. It has to be looked at with, you know, with a microscope as to what's going on and right. how we can clean it up because it's it's dirty. The well, NHS we is saw, dirty. We saw our good friend Matt Hancock, who still thinks that people care about him, and apparently who says he walks around Britain and people go up to him and go, "Thank you so much for saving the NHS." <laughs> is this guy deluded or what? Is he sure he didn't he's dream it? He, I think he is. He's completely you know, insane. He's writing a book about how he saved the NHS. Apparently, except well, the publishers say. Well, we haven't asked him to. I mean, the guy literally is he's, he's such a crazy narcissist that yeah, he thinks he things are going on that aren't happening. He makes things up. He makes things up to give himself. I mean, but, you know, all the talk that I've had about Matt Hancock and, and I've spoken to a lot of people that do know him is that he is fundamentally a very dim man. Right. And that begs the question. He doesn't look bright, does he? He doesn't look bright, but he is actually very dim. And that begs the question, how did he get that job? Well, that's a very good question. How do you get any job in politics? Mm. By sucking up to the right people. Right. And how okay. on earth would you think that Boris Johnson became Prime Minister, given what we now know about him, Absolutely. and given what we now know that he has the attention span of a gnat? Yep. And literally, if you wave something at him for 24 minutes, he, comes, he goes over there. You know, he can't because. concentrate on anything. So you and I will never be in politics because we don't no. have the capacity to suck up. Well, I that's personally couldn't thing. be in politics because of all the skeletons in my cupboard. But no. that's another story. <laughs> <laughs> um, I wouldn't want anyone knowing about. But let's talk about uh, a couple of other things before yes. we move on to that. Obesity in children, I know, is a big issue for you. It's... One of the things the NHS is doing wrong is they suddenly announce in the middle of all this, never mind fixing the, 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 the GP problem or, or the problem with cancer care, Instead, what we're going to do is we're going to set up a load of obesity clinics for two-year-olds. It's, I tell you what, it's just to try and get your eye off the ball. So yeah. I was a school teacher 20 years ago in Tottenham, and we had an obesity problem then. Right. And that was 20 years ago. And, and again and again and again, I've written to my MP and I've written to whoever will listen to me to talk about obesity in children. Because this is what people don't understand. And, and you might understand it a little bit more now because of what happened with COVID. Yeah. Is that having excess weight leads to a plethora of health mm. issues. Okay, so even a little bit of excess weight yeah. leads to a plethora of health issues. I put on eight pounds over lockdown because I was eating too much. And I tell you, it's really hard to lose it. So yes. I understand. Especially as you get older. Oh, yes, we're not talking about the older world now. Sorry. Um, but I, totally I, talk, I mean myself. <laughs> you know, I gave up smoking four years ago yeah. and I put on about a stone and a half. And it's you know. really hard. And, you know, it's so, very difficult. It is hard to it's hard to get your weight in control. So I get that. So I'm not uns mm. unsympathetic. So let's let's get that out right. first before people say to me that I'm un unsympathetic. I get how difficult it is. But when it comes to children, it is our duty, our duty as adults, as parents, to make sure that they don't get fat. Now the statistics that came out yesterday, and I've got to read these out because they're horrific. It says that 25% of uh, primary school children are obese. Mm. I mean, and that comes up to 41% of children are either overweight or obese. Is there a danger? though with the word obese because I know that there was a time when my children were younger mm -hmm. and they put them on this kind of you know sliding yeah. scale and all children 
grow at different rates, right? Yeah. And and a couple of my kids grew quicker than others. Yes. Um, and they can say to you, and we had a couple of letters mm-hmm. um, and uh, about the fact that, you know, uh, we're, we're raising some concerns about one of your children. And I was like, well, hang on a minute, there's nothing wrong with any of my kids. They just happen to be growing at a slightly different rate. Maybe that's, maybe there's, I think some, maybe some things do, they do get it wrong a little bit along the way. But the reality is, is all you need to go is look into a classroom now. Yeah. Children, are, uh, the fact of the matter is that four-year-olds are arriving at reception. 35% of them are overweight or right. obese. Okay. And, and my point is, is forget about, oh, you mustn't shame them and watch their feelings or whatever. The likelihood that they're going to end up with type 2 diabetes. And if you end up being overweight, you have liver problems, yeah. you have metabolic problems, you have fertility problems, mm. and it can cause cancer. Sure. So if you're taking your child to school already overweight and then... What drives me nuts so much? Let me just go back. The the stuff that's at schools. I mean, now they're trying to come down it, but school food has has is disgusting. Mm. It's beige food with absolutely no nutrients in it. To terrible stuff since the lockdown, right? It's terrible. When I was at school. Our, our school lunches at primary school were incredible. Mm. Pretty disgusting to eat. I don't care about that. But there were greens, there was yeah. protein, there was carbohydrate. Yeah. It was a well-balanced meal. I, I love my meal. school dinners. Some know? of them were awful. No, I always great. liked them. And I, I still, even to this day, uh, would love it for somebody to make me chocolate custard, cold custard with a chocolate sponge. Yeah. I just, I can't get it anywhere. Yeah. I loved it. I'll make you some, Mike. Thank I will you. make that for you. All right. Um, but, you know, so the, it was nutritionally balanced. They're not getting that now. And so, and also, you know, they're talking, the NHS is talking about setting up these clinics for children but have you been into a hospital have you seen the food that's on offer in a hospital so people are going to see sick people they don't have much time and all hospital you've got is fast awful, food but also if you want to go and buy something yeah. if you're in hospital and you want to go downstairs and get something there is nothing healthy that you no. can get it's all fast food no. and it's all disgusting and so they've got those machines with chocolate and chocolate in them. and fizzy drinks right. which are fizzy drinks are the biggest yeah. killers in the world they're the things that but are really horrific is it right horrific. to say because I was kind of ridiculing this yesterday and you may be making me rethink this thought but I thought surely to God two year olds are not obese are they yes are they yes they so are. What, but that's the parents fault surely it is It is the parents fault but let's just take it back a bit so mm. you know the, the government is constantly ploughing money into things I think are obscene and disgusting yeah. you know how I feel about track and trace and all this stuff that they've done with Covid the money they've just blown away right. for nothing mm. billions yeah. billions what they could have done and what they need to do is because there's so much misinformation about what is healthy and what is good for your child. Mm. I think the new generations that are coming up don't understand food anymore. They don't understand what's good. And there's all these, you know, propaganda and false information. One thing I want to say to all parents out there listening, anything that says it's fortified, don't touch it. Because... The reason it's fortified is because it's probably absolutely zero nutrients. And, and what so does that word mean forti- in the it's food when business? They, it's when they add vitamins to the food okay. or they add uh, minerals or, you know, calcium or vitamin C and all that stuff. Don't touch it. Right. It, it's empty calories that have been it, it plugged in with added. false right. kind of things that you don't need. And not, your body might not necessarily absorb properly. Mm. We need to take a step back. We need to give basic cooking lessons yeah. and basic nutritional lessons to people so they understand what they're giving their children because you know you have all these things that say you know rich in vitamin c good for kids no sugar but they're not no added sugar no added sugar but look at all the extra sugars the fruit sugars that are in there that are doing exactly the same damage no wonder a lot of people don't understand what's right to feed their children so i have great sympathy for that i'm a nutritionist i understand it i get it it's what i do i read books about it it's it's what i'm interested in and nutritionists changed a lot Mm. throughout the years you know there was a while back you know 
25 years ago when it was all about no fat, no mm. fat, because there was a whole lobby that wanted to make fat bad and to increase sugar because the sugar market was yeah. giving so much money. Yeah. It had nothing to do with health. Right. So that, that was a complete corrupt thing that mm. went on there. Now we're kind of reversing back. Because you know what I find? And I'm going to America at Christmas. I'm sorry to interrupt your flow no. for a moment. But everything there is sweeter. You know, and my daughter, when she lived in the States, when she would come to London, she would go, you know what I love here is the cheese and the ham. It tastes so fresh and it tastes so great because over in America, it's all kind of pasteurized. It's all been kind of homogenized. The bread is sweet. You know, you can't buy. I mean, you can if you go to a decent sort of, you know, artisan bakery, if you happen to live in a trendy part of New York City. But if you live in the Midwest or something, you know, every piece of bread that you eat has got sugar in it. It's heavily sugared and heavily salted to, to make it more addictive. Right. The, the bad food industry should be brought down. Mm. It needs to be brought down. But I think it makes too much money for governments. Yeah. If, we, if you really, really want to stop children from being sick and you really care about the health of this nation, that's what you target mm. first. You yeah. target bad food. And surely it's easy to teach people how to cook, isn't it? It's really easy, but it takes time. And it takes also the reversing of all the kind of false information that you've got. To t- start to cook from scratch, yeah. a meal from scratch, it, it does take a little bit of time and a little bit of effort and interest because it's much easier to go and buy that already marinated chicken thigh for example and put it in the oven but actually that has got about 20 e numbers in it and lots of horrible things it will take you literally three minutes to marinate it and also give people a sense of pride in in making something because also it's a craft it's an art form i love cooking yeah my kids love cooking all of them do yeah and they're totally into it and they know that it's better and healthier for them. And, and things like, I'm just looking it up because I always forget what it's called, but mirepoix, you know, you mm. cut some carrots, some yep. celery, and yep. some onions, yeah, and that's the basis for almost anything. Absolutely. Stews, Stews you know, whatever spaghetti, you're going to put in it, it makes a lovely make. base, yeah. And it's really just interesting to do. I mean, if you can make your but kids you, interested enough in doing it. But unfortunately, say the parents of young children now, their parents never cooked. I knew a young guy who was a friend of my daughter's, so, you know, so they're, he must be about 23 now and right. up until he came to my house he never ate home cooked food wow. his he had a chest freezer at home that his mum would fill up once mm. every two weeks okay. and say knock yourself out she decided she hated cooking yeah. and so that so from he didn't know how to cook because he'd never seen never anyone been, to cook. Yeah. her mother didn't like cooking or mm. she was a terrible cook and couldn't be bothered you do have to cook with a little bit of love yeah. and put a bit of effort and taste but also as you make go it, along. but don't make it seem like a like a dirge or something that you horribly have to do every day make it something interesting absolutely and right? I, was, I was talking and to there's so many great i mean the reason you and i met was because of it's a, through a food yes it's you through did food. the spice cookbook yeah and i said that looks interesting and i looked through it and you came in and here we are you Absolutely. know some food years brought later a food brought us together but the whole thing about food is is um is about eating together and mixing together and it really helps family life and mm. when i was trying to do this thing oh gosh about 15 years ago to just try and get families i wasn't even aiming for one meal a day i was doing for i was aiming for one meal a week where the family cook together and eat together yeah. and that has real positive effects on the whole of the family. It's mm. a time that everyone takes their phones out of the room and actually sits together around a table and you pick up things that are going on in yeah, your children's lives. I mean, I try and do that every day. It doesn't always happen right. in our house because I've got older ones. It's difficult as they get older. It is difficult, but it has to happen at least twice a week mm-hmm. where we sit and have, or yeah. three times a week, we sit and have dinner together, we cook together and we do it yeah. all together. And that's that has positive mental effects on, on mental health as well. So cooking and food yeah. are literally the the, the 
hub where everything else can flourish yeah. and that's been forsaken mm. and no one's putting any effort into teaching these people because no. you, you were just talking about making a basic uh, sauce start and there's yeah. so many things but people don't know that I mean for me if I don't know what to cook do you know what I do I start frying off some onions mm. and then like, something will come yeah. you know it's that kind Absolutely. of thing you know it's a, it's a base for something yeah. and something will come Definitely. you know from that but a lot of people don't understand that and that's why if during lockdown mm. they'd spent some money, I mean, I would have happily have done it for free. I yeah. suggest it quite often that I would do free cookery lessons that yeah. could be broadcast to the nation, yeah. making basic things that you can make. And you do stuff on Instagram. I, t- I told time, you I learned yeah. that thing about the clams yes. from oh, you. Yes, you know, where you put them in the in the pan before you do anything else. And, and, if they don't shut. If they don't shut when you're washing them and yeah. open when you're cooking them. And when them. you don't open yeah. when you put them in. Yeah, I, mean, I didn't know that. And I consider myself to be relatively clam knowledgeable you know um but i just think it's so much fun as well people say they haven't got time but what you realize is once you get no i agree with that you have to make time it does take a little bit of effort but then once you've got some basic knowledge you can cook anything you like and it's fun and you will enjoy the food better it tastes better but the problem is is like you said about america it's happening here as well people's taste buds are being desensitized Mm. by too much salt too much sugar and bad fat and so much ease now with which you can literally ring up anywhere and get you know uber that's eats, what lockdown did you know all sorts of stuff can get delivered i mean people are actually getting i was in funnily enough the day that i did, that I did that uh, fry up uh, because i was hung over uh, but you know i was the only person in the actual cafe everybody else that came in was delivering something to someone. somebody yeah people on scooters so people are ordering breakfast not even going out to get it. Yeah. And you're going, what's wrong with you? Yeah, that's so wrong. Take a walk. But lockdown did that. The yeah. government did that. By locking us down, it did that. Right. This, these obesity problems that we had, we had them before. It's not anything new, but they have accelerated yeah. because of lockdown. Kids right. sitting, eating takeaway food, eating snacks all the time, not being able to go out and play. The government are to mm. blame. Lockdown yes. is to blame. So hearing Boris talk about maybe having to do some lockdown at Christmas, there's just no way. No thanks. Listen, you bungling Boris. It's my new name. <laughs> For him. I like that. There is no way that we will lock down. No. I will never do that again. And there is no reason for it. No. There is no there really reason isn't. for it. There's no reason to right. justify it. Now tell it. me about the other thing that happened to you this week, which was that you were abused on, on social media by another broadcaster from I another was. place. And we're not going to name him because no. I haven't given the time of day for no. that. But tell us about that. So th- there was a really fantastic young lady uh, talking on a, a I saw news. her. I didn't recognise her. I don't know who she was. She, uh, she oh gosh, I, her name has slipped my mind. I will find it. But she was just a young, eloquent girl who yeah. was just making the case. She said that she had been double vaccinated. She yeah. will have her booster. But she was making the case for people that do not wish to be vaccinated. Yeah. Now, we now know, just to go back to a little bit on the vaccination thing, that vaccines do not stop you from getting or transmitting the disease. Actually, the greatest thing that you can have to prevent you from transmitting the disease is natural immunity, mm. which nobody talks about. Nobody's... No. No, including Sajid Javid when it, I asked him. Exactly, when you asked him, nothing yeah. to do. And that that is horrifying in itself. Yeah. And so um, she was trying to explain to this particular broadcaster. So I put a tweet up saying, poor this broadcaster, mm. don't you seem to understand that this vaccine does not stop you from right. contracting or transmitting? The best thing that you can have is um, natural immunity. Mm. And he just personally attacked me, yeah. uh, calling me um, someone with a little skull, spelt yeah. skull wrong, with I can't get into my little skulls, yeah. the basic vaccine, and which is very nice you of you to say. He called me lots of names, yeah. but it's, it's really interesting that that this man had actually written a book about not shouting at each other and mm. being nice to each other and well, having a listen, the, the debate. The ones, you know, be kind, you oh, swine. Yeah. Yes. You know, you don't agree with me. But the thing is, his point of view as well, which was entirely indefensible in my view, was that if you 
do not want to take the vaccine, that you are somehow a bad person and that you should somehow be punished for that because you're not being community minded. Right. And instead of understanding that we live in a free society, supposedly, and instead of understanding that everybody has free will, you know, how would he like it if we went back to the days uh, when certain sex acts were banned and you go, well, in fact, you're being very irresponsible by doing that because during various uh, outbreaks of disease, you could be irresponsibly spreading something. He I wouldn't agree. like that. He really wouldn't like that. But my point is, and I keep going back to this point, is that it doesn't work. This thing that they think they're doing that's making them better human beings, mm. it doesn't work. It doesn't work as well as natural immunity. And, you know, 20 months down the line or 18, 19 months down the line, we know that we have a huge amount of natural yeah. immunity. So you can't keep discarding that and saying, well, well you're not Wales, a good person. Wales, where they've had effectively Plan B, yep. uh, which is the much bigger lockdown and vaccine passports and all of that. Guess what? Their cases are going up. Absolutely. Isn't and what's happening? What's happening in England? cases are not going up they're going down yeah. so there you go and i must just just add that i will be outside parliament today at one o'clock with the together the together declaration.org yeah. okay. if anyone wants to sign it together declaration.org to just talk to our mps mm. about how illiberal and how very bad vaccine passports are and how they do not help no. with a virus they just don't help how can someone who's been double vaccinated um, and still get the virus go somewhere by showing their pass and someone who has natural immunity mm. okay yeah. and is 27 times less likely to get the virus um not go in so that person that's been vaccinated could be going in and could have and could have COVID, COVID. covid but the person with the natural immunity who's not been tested for antibodies right. can go nowhere right it's wrong yeah. it's fundamentally wrong and also to accuse people who do not wish to have a vaccine for whatever reason and there are plenty of reasons why you wouldn't want to have one including some which are medical yeah um why should that person then be sort of singled out as being somehow morally selfish or by somehow doing the wrong thing? Because in my experience, when you start labelling people and making them out to be outlaws, guess what? They become outlaws. But it's not just that. You know, Mike, I'll go back to you. I was out last night. I was driving home with a very nice lady in the car who then called me an anti-vaxxer. Um, and really kind of really went, she went off on one. And I looked at her and I thought, gosh, this poor woman. I actually felt sorry for mm. her because... The government propaganda and the brainwashing that has been done. See, my brain and your brain cannot be brainwashed. No, we are, we, it's we, we, we are critical thinkers and we look at the facts outside of what we're being fed. Right. So these people that only read the mainstream media and only watch BBC, ITV, mm. mainstream television, they are being literally force-fed this brainwashing. It's called nudge, it's called propaganda, and mm. they have been brainwashed. And I looked at her and she was fearful and she was screechy. And I just thought... I don't know how I can help this woman. No. She's so far gone the other way. She doesn't have uh, the the mind to be able to critically look at other information, look at the facts, mm. and come together and say, you know what, vaccines have worked really well yeah. for some people. And also, really just be well, logical. Exactly. Well. Think about what you've just said. Yeah. And think about what you're doing. You're sitting in a car with Tony Buxton, uh, who's not wearing a mask. I don't know if she was wearing a mask. She wasn't. But, you know, why is she in the car with you if she's that frightened? Did she really think... I mean, I got on the tube the other day. It was rammed, right? About 50% of the people were not wearing masks. Mm-hmm. Now, I said this to, to, to Laura yesterday. If COVID was so dangerous, why is everybody on that train not got it? Yeah. Why has everybody not been given it? Yeah. Why are we not super spreaders? Why yeah. is everybody not rushing off to Guy's Hospital because they've been infected by this terrible disease? I'll tell you why. Because... Nobody now 
is getting it unless they've got a real serious underlying health issue. Can you possibly imagine a healthcare system sacking its staff if we really were under this type mm. of threat? I mean, the, the problems that we have in this country with health are nothing to do with the virus. No. They're to do with the overwhelming backlog that we've got. Yeah. And, and the tsunami of undiagnosed cancers that mm. are about to come out mm. will be tens of hundreds of thousands yes. of people. And I want someone to pay for that. There are people dying in ambulances, right? Yeah. While Sajid Javid's going, so what? Yeah. Well, so what, Sajid? Fix the ambulance problem. He he should go. Yeah. I mean, I I have. I think no it's a shocking it. way to talk to sh- anybody. It's a shocking way to talk to your public, who yeah. have all been put through a horror. Yeah. We've had 19 months of horror, non-stop fear and horror, and no real facts. The facts are coming out later. Mm. Just all these facts that are coming out later. One of the things that blows my mind is that really very early on, when I put a tweet out, which I took down because I got so frightened about the virus coming from a lab in mm. Wuhan, China. Right. I mean, it seems completely logical to me. Well, uh, I mean, the American government are now saying that's where it came well, from. Well, there's a book coming out now, um, The Virus, yeah. it's coming out now, which has, you know, t- t- breaks down all the facts and is a fantastic book. I think mm. it's out next week. And and they state that. And, and the abuse that these people, these scientists have had and these kind of people that have researched mm. it have had by saying that, I got called racist, I got called all this stuff and I thought, oh gosh, I took it down because mm. I was so frightened of yeah. it. But look, it's true. So we can't believe anything that's said. You know, the government... And the and Twitter and all these people that took me down. They, yeah. they you know, they they said I was. They went being, for you. They went for yeah. me, and it's a fact. So how can you believe anything they say when we facts later are coming through that mm. they've said were not facts, and, right. and all the things that Boris and everyone has said that they weren't going to do and have done them. We yeah. were called conspiracy theorists. Yeah. It's the first time I heard this. You know, this tag. I'd right. never been called this before right. COVID. So it's really interesting to be constantly called it, and then all the conspiracies that I said have come true. Mm. So what does that? What does that make me? What does that make you? Clever. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's what we are. Here at the Independent Republic of Mike Graham, not only are we independent, we're also very clever. And the thing I love most about the fact that we're clever is that people call us stupid. Yes. I love that. I get called stupid all the I time. I love it. They call me thick. Yeah, I know. You think I'm thick? Give me a call. I love that. And I love the fact that, that anything that you discuss, you have to have a, a kind of degree on or you have to be so since where's Tonya's medical degree yeah, where's right. she a virologist yeah. where does she why know about why are you talking to this? a chef I get that why are you talking? oh god I get that all the time yeah. like like we don't have the capacity to critical think and read things yeah. and make and have opinions and mm. I think I personally know more about nutrition than any GP yeah. I can do a, 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 a sit down with a GP because GPs and more what do people they get? die in hospitals than die in restaurants let's put it that thank way thank you very much <laughs> Yes. Huh? That's the kind of logic they like. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> anyway, we've got to run because we're late. Uh, Tonya, delightful to see you. Go and meet Tonya down at uh, Parliament Square, one o'clock, if you wish. Uh, she's going to be down there doing what she says on the tin. Unlike most people who sit behind their little keyboard and hurl insults at other people and never actually show their faces. She does, and I love her for it. Thank this you. is Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Now, uh, let us talk about something slightly more uh, ethereal. Because there's a new word entering the English language, uh, not as if it's never been there before, but certainly it's become a lot more popular. And that word is perseverance. It's been named as the word of 2021 uh, by dictionary bosses because it turns out uh, that searches for that word, perseverance, have been the most searched word uh, in the whole course of the year, partly because of NASA's mission to Mars. Let's talk now to David Crystal, author of the Cambridge Encyclopedia of the English Language, because we always like talking about words, because it's what we do. I've always asked people to tell me how many words I uttered during the course of the three-hour radio show. I'm not sure what it is, uh, that number, but uh, I don't think I've said perseverance yet uh, until now. So, David, very good afternoon to you. 
Well, good afternoon to you. Um, Quite a large number of words, I would say, at the rate at the rate you speak. Well, I would imagine so. I would like to know. Actually, I should have I should have somebody. I'm sure there's a device that could count them. But um, uh, I, I, <laughs> I myself have not said perseverance an awful lot this year. But it's interesting that um, that this word has been picked out just because it's been based on all the searches that were done for it. Yes, that's that's one of the ways in which people. Uh, do this word of the year thing. It's right. November. It's word of the year month. I mean, lots of dictionaries are now doing this. And what's happened with Cambridge is that they've used this technique of uh, the number of times that people have looked it up, which is one way of doing it. Well, all that shows is that there are quite a large number of people out there that don't know what the meaning of perseverance is. Right. <laughs> Well, I mean, one of my favourite films is a, a film called the, the Outlaw Josie Wales with Clint Eastwood, in which he's a sort of, uh, you know, he's, a, he's, he's fighting against the, the red legs in the Civil War in America. Um, and he has a, a Native American sort of friend that comes with him. And he talks about how they were all called to the White House one day. And this is one of my favourite phrases, which means absolutely nothing. He says, we met the president, uh, who I think was Jackson, uh, and he went up to them. He said they gave us all a medal, told us we were doing very well and said, endeavour to persevere. <laughs> and, and that was the advice. And it's a great phrase because it means absolutely nothing, doesn't it? Yeah, that's that's right. Now, what one has to do is realise that there isn't any one perfect word of the year. You know, this latest one has just come out now that you're talking about. But a couple of weeks ago, Oxford came up with a, another word of the year. And that was based on a very different procedure. This was actually looking through as many sources as possible to see which words were actually coming up more frequently than last year right. in all sorts of contexts, you know, newspapers, magazines, online, everywhere. And the word that they came up with was vax. Oh, really? Vax. Yes. Yeah. Interesting, because that's become a word now, hasn't it? V-A-X-X rather than vaccine. Well, that's right. Vax, vax with one X if it's just on its own. And if you've been vaxed, you put two X's together right. now. Heck, that's unusual, isn't it? How many words <laughs> in the language have two X's? Well, going I mean, together? normally that's reserved for people who sort of uh, perform rap music and they give themselves strange names with lots of strange consonants <laughs> in them. But what about anti-vax? Is that in there as well? Well, it's not been a word of the year, uh, but I suppose it could be just as easily. Different parts of the world have different things, you know. Um, I was uh, reading the other day that in Australia... Uh, their word of the year was completely different from anything else. They've got this lovely coinage. Uh, the word of the year from the National Dictionary Centre there was, are you ready for it? Go on. Stroll out. Stroll out? Is that something to do and with you the know lockdown? That, that, what that means is that there's been a slowing down of the rollout of okay. the vaccine. Right. <laughs> Hence, stroll Interesting. out. Interesting. Because you would expect in Australia, because they've had such a terrible lockdown, that there would be something lockdown related as well, wouldn't you? Well, yes, you would. But you see, don't forget that the, the pandemic's been around a while now. Yes. And so last year's words of the year um, captured the obvious ones. So last year, for instance, um, Merriam-Webster over in the United States chose, obviously, pandemic. Mm. And uh, the Collins Dictionary people last year chose, obviously, lockdown. So, I mean, the, 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 those kind of basic words have already been done you right. know, a year ago. And do you do the reverse of adding words to dictionaries? Do you ever take words out which are no longer sort of in use? Oh, the the, the smaller dictionaries do all the time, mm. because, simply because they haven't got the space. You right. know, new words are coming in, so the old words go out. 
But these days, you know, online dictionaries don't have a problem with space. Sure. And so it's very unusual now to find a word actually being dismissed from the dictionary. Very unusual. Interesting, because I'm looking at uh, a story that was written about this today in which they said in January of this year, and I assume this is more American than British, uh, lots of words were based around what happened on January the 6th. Insurrection, impeachment, inauguration and a quiz mm. were all very heavily uh, sort of searched for. Yeah, that's right. And and these are the words that will sometimes also develop a slightly different sense, you know, one that wasn't quite there before with quite the same nuance. You know, things like in, in the Black Lives Matter kind of mm. domain, anything to do with race or gender, yes. then these are likely to develop new senses that uh, weren't there before. Ah. And what about sort of new words that are invented sort of by teenagers? Because I always hear from, from my children different words that, that mean different things. This is probably very old now, but I remember the first time I heard the word sick referred to as something good. Yes. You know, which... which yeah, that's and, and wicked. Mint, I'm told mint is, is, is one that people use a lot now. For good. Yeah, well, this is this is new slang, uh, and the chief reason for slang is to show that you're one of the gang. You know, that's the old phrase, and uh, this is always happening. The new new slang words come in every year. Now, right. here's the interesting point: how many of those actually become a permanent place in the language? And the answer is, judging by studies that have been done in the past, only about a quarter of them mm. will ever actually be around in, say, 10 years' time. Yes. Well, because presumably if somebody like me starts using them, uh, they're no longer valid because I'm far too old to be using slang terms that my teenage Absolutely sons Absolutely. Dead, dead you know. boring. As soon as old people use young people. <laughs> well, I say old. Yes. I mean, I'm no, listen, I'm, I'm more than happy for you to call me old. It's absolutely fine. <laughs> um, I mean, I, it's a bit like when, you, when, when I was a bit younger, by the time a trendy nightclub club was letting the likes of me in it wasn't trendy anymore <laughs> <laughs> yeah that, that that's what happened to bling you know yes bling ago. that's a good word that we haven't seen for a while yeah but uh, once again it was a very narrow specialized slangy term right and then you know upper class people started to use it and so the cool guys that were right. using it stopped using it yeah amazing so i mean is there any way to sort of track the way language is going because i'm fascinated by language as you as you would imagine and uh, i always like to know sort of if there is any kind of cultural changes or or differences that we bring in perhaps because we've imported words from overseas or from different parts of the world you know i mean it's just a constantly movable feast really isn't it well, absolutely. And fortunately, thanks to online, uh, it is not so hard to monitor these changes now. Mm. Now, Cambridge have come up with this um, uh, word today that we're talking about, perseverance. And Oxford the other day did VAX. Well, if you go to either of their sites, you know, the Cambridge one or the Oxford one, and some of the other dictionaries do it as well, every month in some cases, and certainly every three months, you'll get an outpouring of, you know, the latest words mm. and the latest meanings that have come in. So right. it's the easiest way to do it. OK, well, we shall keep an eye on it. David, thank you very much indeed. Great to talk to you. Very fascinating stuff. Author of the Cambridge Encyclopedia of the English Language, uh, David Crystal there. Uh, and of course, that's another word. Uh, if you're a fan of movies, you'll remember uh, from A Few Good Men, uh, where um, Jack Nicholson, while he's sitting on the stand, says to Tom Cruise, are we clear? Tom Cruise says, Crystal. Talk radio across the UK, online, on DAB and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. 
If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday, on Talk Radio via DAB online or via the Talk Radio app. And if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio.